This is John. This is Brother Blix. This is Trav. This is St. Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast where you can get frocked up all night and have a great time. And be blessed for it afterwards, too. Tonight, we are going to review one of the newest products put out by TriTac Games Cloisters, a post apocalyptic role playing game. Now, about what time does this take place after the apocalypse? Trap? Since the apocalypse itself happened in 2018, yeah, about 100 years have passed since the initial World War III. If you want to check out something really cool, you need to tune in to the TriTac Podcast. What's that you say? TriTac? What's a TriTac? TriTac is one of the oldest role-playing companies around. They make games like Fringeworth, FTL 2448, Hardwired Hinterland, Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters. Designed for D20 and Savage Worlds, these games will kick your dice into overdrive. Whether you want to combat the denizens of the underworld, travel the galaxy, get crazy with bimbos, or travel the multiverse and do it all, TriTac has you covered. Go to TriTacGamers.com to see what it's all about. That's T-R-I-T-A-C Gamers.com. And check out our weekly podcast at TriTacSystems.Podbean.com. Or simply enter keyword TriTac in iTunes. You're going to love it. Who are the ministries? Harold Tomazak, uh, later called the Herald of Truth. Bump chi. It's called him the religious Luddite because he basically views any form of knowledge other than what's in the Bible as to be evil to the point where the, if you're in, if you were born and raised in the ministry, you don't know how to read. You may have the basic math being you know to counting your hands, fingers, and toes right. to handle things. Other than that, you basically knowledge is evil. Well, you don't need to know how to read. The Bible has 365 pages with 365 short proclamations for the faithful. So when they say 365 pages, we're talking about a small book. It's probably like a little thing that you could carry with you easily. And most people can't read. That's for the priests. That's for the, the ministers, okay? Most people just would have to memorize 365 sayings. I like the fact that the picture here, this guy looks an awful like Benny Hinn. Yeah, amazingly, yeah. <laughs> Wonder about that. Right. I mean, this guy isn't just evangelical. He's a radical TV evangelist. He was doing his own little special 
take on Christianity and such. But I don't really see them actually ever mentioning Christianity in this at all. It's all about God. They've gone back to a purely monotheistic religion where there's just God and nothing else. The simple editing of the King James Bible. He said, cut all that Jesus stuff out of there. I mean, I'm sure he took it from all other places, but there's two places in the Bible that's designed to be short sayings, wisdom. And one is Proverbs, and the other one is James. Basically has, this is, this is how you run a church, this is how you run your lives. They're small, they're pithy, they don't have big stories involved with them. They're like, you know, little things that you could learn and carry with you and, and think about. Think about how to apply it, but it's not dependent upon any of the other verses. Yep. Sadly, uh, Tomazak died at the hands of some pigs. Wonder amazing about that. And his 16 sons taken over and, and ran the church afterwards. I, we're, we're probably dealing with his great-great-grandsons now. Yeah. If he's a TV evangelist, that's you know definitely current. Now, 102 years is four generations. Great-great-great-grandsons. Uh, and they basically will burn books. They're not a fan of technology. They don't like technology, but not to the point where they, like a Luddite will burn it down. But they will encourage their people to look, look into their souls and decide what to do about those devil machines. They're the equivalent of an Amish community as far as their technology is concerned. It's very simple tools. Their primary tool appears to be a club. <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the upside... Yeah. On the upside of the ministry, they are no fans of the eaters, the cannibals. Everybody has somebody they hate, right? Yeah. They actually do missionary work. Their followers will burn their shoes and, and trot unshodden out into the wilderness of Michigan to do their, their, their missionary work. No, which have returned from such, such a work. No, no. A lot of them do, but many are not seen. <laughs> Again, that's just the way it is. And they only go out in groups of three to six. And if you ran into a bandit group, you're not going to defeat them with your clubs. The cannibals are like, oh, look, take out. <laughs> I, love, I love these guys. But they are actually pretty good at sneaking. They're not stupid. They're trying to find people that they think are good people and then go and talk to them and convince them to join the ministry. Only when they have a distinct advantage, I think, do they ever go and grab people and show God's wrath on them. Well, the only ones they really have that for are the possessed, a.k.a. psionics. Anyone with psionics, they will grab. These adults and even children have demons in them that allow them powers of the mind and the body. They're against God's will. They are immediately tied to a pine log and given a chance to repent. If they fail, they are burned to release the demon and send their soul to heaven. A little addition note they're saying. They say if you roast a potato in the ashes of a sinner... You can stuff it in the mouth of an eater and save it still before you club him to death. Which is a pretty good potato. Yeah. But yeah, they don't like psionics. That, that's the one pe group they will kill on sight, from the sounds of it. Yes. You know? That's the case. Because it's clear that you know, those people are you know, literally the tools of the devil. Because they have these abilities that God apparently did not want anyone to have. So therefore, only Satan could be behind it. Mm -hmm. right. There is this another group that's showing up, but people don't really believe in them quite yet. But it's, and I think it's a little rub off from Hardwired Hinterland. Smart animals. Now, I'm not saying, you know, walk around, talk, shake your hand, say hello, but smarter than the average bear type animals. Yay. Sorry. 
theme. That's also a theme in Rogue Four Seventeen as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you basically take this game and combine it with Rogue Four Seventeen, you'll have a lot more useful information as far as how to uh, to create a lot of scenarios. And also, Rogue Four Seventeen has an excellent mapping tool in the back of it, where you can use the technological groups of surrounding an area to affect that area. So it's it's actually got a pretty good tool at the back of it for mapping and designing communities in the wilderness or the the wasteland, whatever way you want to look at it. So it's safe to say this like, is a companion game that's set a hundred years after. The two of them w- would work very well together. Yes, I mean they're not supposed to be. It's not like written into it. But since Rogue Four Seventy was talked about it, and as you said, there's a strong comparison where they have smart animals. In Rogue 417, they've got survivalists, they've got gypsies. A, a lot of the groups that are mentioned in the encounter section or the personality section are very similar to some that are in uh, Rogue 417. Brother Lewis had to laugh when a squirrel dropped a black walnut on Brother Jerome. The second hit Brother Lewis in the face as a shower began. Above them, the trees seethed with chattering squirrels. Then the stones began to fall. Move, he yelled as the small party kicked their horses into into a gallop. Clearing the trees, they looked back to see hundreds of little pests shaking their fists and screaming squirrel obscenities. Yeah, yeah, so you have to watch out. I mean, they do mention, you know, rats, rabbits, squirrels, prairie dogs, cats, big cats. Apparently, uh, a lot of the zoos emptied out during the troubled times. Which is kind of a theme in a lot of post-apocalyptic shows. I am legend. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Army of 12 Monkeys. Through New York, yeah. And let's not forget Planet of the Apes. With escaped zoo animals. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about how they're not that smart. They're smart enough that it says that the church may be entering into a time when some species will present themselves and wish to be converted to the teachings of the church. That means they can handle language. Yeah. Makes them actually, in many ways, smarter than some of the people that are in the ministries because it seems like they they, they seem to tend to get the people on the lower end of the uh, you know one hundred scale intelligence scale. Oh wow, wasps and bees can be uh, become intelligent. Wasps and bees would be well, be, especially bees would be uh, a hive mind. A human intelligent hive. No, that's not scary at all. No, no. Especially considering we've seen super hives that have like millions in them. I can I can see how they can talk though. It's not just, you know it's talking to one bee. You're talking to all of them, and basically different bees will will do different vibrations with their wings. Hundred thousand bees vibrating their wings in different frequencies to simulate uh, human voices. A common thing is that they show a lot of pack behavior. Even things that don't normally ha- go in packs go in packs now. And ambush behavior. That says that's the very rare version. But how about a pack of pythons? Yeah. There's <laughs> not just one snake drops on you. Okay. You know, like it's raining snakes. All right. <laughs> I feel Jamel Jackson imitation coming on right now, but we're a child safe podcast. That's right. <laughs> and don't forget those apes. All those apes that, that escaped. Now we definitely do have a plan of the apes. Right. But like prairie dogs, okay? Prairie dogs are diggers. They could actually undermine the building that you're in if they wanted to. If they were that mad at you, or if they were, you know, they had some reason to get into where you were, they could literally, you know, sap their way underneath the foundation of the building you're in. Oh, there's one in the list I'm looking at going, 
but isn't the largest herd in Yellowstone buffalo? I don't think they would be now. I think the the buffalo would be uh, would have died off. Well, not died off, but the buffalo that were in Yellowstone probably didn't survive the caldera explosion. Oh, dude, dude, they got they, they breed buffalo all over. There's buffalo are everywhere. Everything that is west of the Mississippi, except for the very most Pacific coastline, and I don't know how far east you guys want to go, it was pretty much wiped out during that explosion, and and things are. Are, are coming in from all these other areas, from coming down from Canada, coming in from Tennessee, and possibly coming up from Mexico. Let's go back to the prairie dogs real quick. <laughs> Something else that prairie dogs are really nasty about, um, they carry the plague, the black plague. Mm-hmm. Real bad way of that. I just got one question. Richard lists pythons and large snakes. <laughs> I, I think he's, what he means is like, like rattlers and stuff like that. He's probably talking about vipers compared to constrictors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They have one or two out keeping watch, and the rest of those little uh, warship downers are out there busy munching down your cabbages. Cutting them off at the, at the root and carrying them off. All right. Well, back to the groups. Who wants to talk about the Luddites? Come on, Paul. I haven't heard from you. The Luddites. <laughs> The followers of the good Reverend Ludd in Moral Project, they would be the Razors. They don't really have a formal name in Rogue 417, but it's certainly the anti-technology cult that anything that isn't human or animal-powered is evil and must be destroyed. They will render it into destruction with their bare hands and stones if they must. Technology is the root of all evil, and they will even go as far as to kill the educator, anybody who knows how to use it, to stop the spread of said knowledge. There's two different kinds of Luddites. There's the city Luddites and there's the white Luddites. Yeah, and the white Luddites are not white. We're not talking to racial or any of that. They're white from the fact they've all been uh, caused by blood blood contact of herpes virus. Yeah, they have a mutant They're, herpes virus that causes their affliction. Yeah. And the reason that they all have it is because they tend toward cannibalism, so they get that blood, you know, that, that exposure pretty easily. Oh, yeah, technology bad, cannibalism good. That's one of those, one of those things in the game that I'm kind of leery on is all the cannibals. I can understand in the first 20 years there have been cannibals, but any at this point, 100 years later, if cannibalism were to exist in a group, it would be because it's part of some sort of formal ceremony where they they were carrying on a tradition, some sort of harvest festival. If we don't do this, the crops will never grow kind of thing. Because there are way too many diseases and other things that you're going to get consuming other humans. Yep. For folks who don't know what prions are a protein, they're not a bacteria, they're not a virus, they are they're human proteins. They're just malformed. They're folded over incorrectly. The affliction usually starts in your 40s. Slowly, it renders your brain holes. Remember mad cow disease? That is a prion. Okay. You literally have holes. But if you don't eat the brains, it usually isn't that big of a problem, right? No, it doesn't matter. It's all through the animal. It focuses in the brain. When one of these bad proteins runs into the correct one, it morphs the good one into a bad one. And they sort of, they don't really replicate, but they, they like, a, like throwing a billiard ball into a bunch of billiard balls, they slam out. And so the, 
the body's mechanism comes along and it removes the damaged ones and moves them out as fast as it can. And that's what forms those holes in your head. And somebody who starts showing symptoms usually only has about a year. I would say that these guys probably have a very high tolerance to whatever these kinds of things are because they're still around. I would say certain genetic things would come up, uh, a mutation as it were, would have come up in the three, well, they said third generation cannibals. A mutation might come up that would stop them from that. Sure. The, the ones who are most resilient are the ones who are able to breed again. Right. Yeah. You said, Paul, you, you said 40 was about the age when a prion start to set in pretty heavily. That's when people generally suddenly start showing symptoms. They've been carrying them for a while. They don't know why at 40 years of age. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if that is the case, it will not ruin a society because they've already passed the, the age at which they need to be to breed and to raise a child to a high enough level of competency to, that it doesn't need constant care from a single parent. They've replaced themselves. They replace themselves. So as long as they're living to like 40 years old, it won't affect a society one bit. I'm just thinking at this point, 100 years later, the agricultural knowledge is returned. People know how to make their own food. They know how to grow their own foods. They know how to butcher their own animals and things like that. In the early days, a technological dependent society suddenly forced to become agrarian. I can understand why there would be a prevalence of cannibals. But 100 years later, I think the only reason for cannibalism is it's some sort of, of cult ritual. Like, we all do this, and this is how we are. Yeah. I agree. They're not living by the human flesh. Right. Maybe once or twice a year they do this, and it's sort of – because it's so taboo for everybody else, it hardens the bonds of their own little community. I disagree with you. I don't think that they do it rarely. I think they do it every time they get an opportunity because when you look in the encounter section and such, that's one of the things you have to worry about is running into bands of cannibals. And, and they're hunting you. And they do live in cities. They, they've been found hiding in larger city populations. So it's, it's a sub-community sub that, for the most part, can sit down and eat the hamburger and French, eat the, the meat, the beef, and have the vegetables. But if you leave your little girl or your little child out uh, unattended, that kid may disappear. And later, about a couple of days later, uh, up for dinner for the, for the group. So they're opportunistic cannibals. So like it's like uh, versus character he created. <laughs> I I think of a more oh, on the lines of the cannibals from the Jerry Pornell, Larry Niven book, Lucifer's Hammer on, on that model. I don't remember those. The evangelical leader that is leading this group of survivors. Not a bit, but but that's okay. I I believe you. He's sort of the model that this ministry's character is. But in the beginning, when he forms this group, they eat some people. And so they're outcasts from all the others. But as they pull in more survivors, they force them to consume human meats. And then those, those people are now forcibly kind of in that cult. And if you don't, they whack you and into the stew pot you go. And it, it, was, it was one of the big bad guys of the, of the novel. And it would make oh. a very good model for a, of a bad cult if you wanted to put it into this game. It would be, yeah. I would suggest hijack it, take it. You know the movie Doomsday? Basically the, the northern part of uh, England. Right, yes. Doomsday 2020-something, yeah. Right. I see that as a way to, to run the cannibals because it didn't seem like they were eating each other or anything like that. But people who came into their area, if they captured you, you know, they would roast you in front of uh, the masses and they would cut you up and eat you. 
the fact that you can live in a city and operate more or less undetected says it's opportunistic, but they're good at hiding it from others. So yeah, if a, if a, if a small child goes missing, hopefully it wasn't, he wasn't taken by the by the eaters because it's more likely the small child was taken by the eaters for dinner at some time or some time or another. It's really unhealthy. I, I, <laughs> I, it's just, it, I mean, just ha- I mean, everything that you can get sick with is cu- your meal could get sick with, and then prions. Uh, I mentioned earlier, there is nothing in any method we know of cooking that renders them inactive. Yeah, that's why they're taking small children. Oh yeah, very few prions in small kids. Okay, well, there's a lot of different small groups and such in here. But that's pretty much, I think, the biggest players. So let's talk about, you know, what is the game about? We've got this post-apocalyptic landscape, and people are trying to improve their lives. So if you wanted to play this game, what are the kind of roles you would imagine yourselves doing in this game? Trav? Well, I mean, obviously the church has their hands in restoring technology. Finding places that need medicine, they need their their machines fixed, or they may need better machines in order to, let's say instead of a plow, they'll say, okay, we'll give you the the means to to farm better, as maybe even, you know, give you an old tractor that you guys can use to plow more fields and you can grow more food for your for your village. Or, oh, you've come down with a plague. Okay, well, we have medicine and we'll teach your people how to look for herbs and whatnot to, to help heal yourselves. So they're truly a benevolent organization is what you're saying. I, when I read, yeah, that because they have uh, Dearborn, the Henry Ford Technology Preservation Complex, the St. Joseph's Complex, which is the St. Joseph's Hospital in Pontiac, which Rich seems to be a frequent guest of. Um, I mean, the church has their hands on all this technology. If you were, let's say, a group of monks or acolytes involved with the church, that's what you'd be going out doing. You would come across the village and help them out in one way or another. And from what I understand, these monks also have, they care, they are armed for purposes of protection. They might end up being called upon to protect a village from a roving band of brigands. So they would do the, well, okay, we need to heal the sick and, you know, the wounded and all that. They said something about um, railroad. There is a railroad that's trying to reach over to uh, Buffalo, right? No, uh, Windsor. Pontiac. uh, Planned to Windsor, Canada, and from there to Buffalo, New York. The monks might have to, okay, we need you to clear this territory because we're going to start laying track there need to explore ahead and find out, hey, what's here, and let them know. You know, we have a train come through here, and if you let us build a station there, city will grow because you'll have this traffic from the holy city all the way to Buffalo. They got a lot of old maps, and they're going, hey, there used to be a train line along here. Maybe the, the tracks are still there, and we just need to do some reconditioning, and we can use those tracks. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that if you were to go to, like, an old hall of records in a city, I mean, even Berkeley. And well, I don't know if Dearborn would have that. Well, yeah, Dearborn would because there's the there's the Amtrak station there in uh, in Dearborn across. Matter of fact, Kitty Corner from the Henry Ford. If you were familiar with intersections of South the Southfield Freeway and Michigan Avenue, where Ford World Headquarters is, 
right across the street from that is the Amtrak station. So yeah, in Dearborn, there would have to be stuff about the trains because that's of that train hub. So yeah, they could find old train track maps, I guess, and that and try to use that to get this line going. So if you were playing a, a character, you would be uh, you'd be playing a monk probably, and you'd be going on missions for the church, right? Well, yes, to do all these various things. That'd be because you're trying to explore and find out what's out there, and you want to try to bring the word to these people as well as uplift them because they've been living in squalor for the past hundred years. So yeah, you basically, you're trying to rebuild the world. Isn't that what this church was put together to do anyways? It doesn't look to me like they're trying to gain converts that much other than to say, hey, the church exists. But I think they're mostly trying to preach through good works. Don't you think? Yeah, they're trying to let them be known that if you are nice, you know, if you all work together and not fight over resources, I mean, such things as food, water, medicine, supplies to build, you work together instead of having differences, we can rebuild the society back to the way it was. And we've learned our lesson on what not to do. I mean, look what happened. So they're, they're trying to bring about a new golden age, these cloisters. So They're also technology hunters. Because I remember some of the adventures had to do with them finding caches of books. At one point, I think they even found a small library and had to defend it against bandits or a, a bunch of Luddites. That's one of the times it seems like they're willing to kill to protect knowledge if they actually find a, a good supply of, of valuable books. Not just you know old moldering paperbacks, but actually books that have things to do with technology and science and history and, and biology. It's also a blending of three themes that where the church was directly influenced the move from the Dark Ages to the Renaissance. I mean, the first one being the allegory of books. As communications is re-established, trade routes are re-established, it was discovered that in monasteries in, in the Balkans, in what is modern-day Turkey and what is what is around the Levant, Jerusalem, Antioch, and those old cities were these monasteries on mountaintops that were repositories of scrolls where they had faithfully copied in Greek and Latin and Aramaic everyday stuff, let alone just religious texts. So things like algebra were preserved and returned to the world when we realized we, how badly we were going to need it. One of the next parts of that theme was the, the church was also a repository of higher-end agrarian skills. We can thank monasteries for brewing. We can thank monasteries for beekeeping. We can thank monasteries for blending grapevines together, making better, more resilient wines, versus just the subsistence farming that your average peasant handled and your warlord expected from his serfs and vassals. Yeah, Paul, didn't I, and I always get these two mixed up, if it's Mendel or Mendeleev. Was Mendeleev the, is responsible for the periodic table. You're thinking Gregor Mendel. He was like crossbreeding peas, and that was like the first major step into what we now know as botany. 
He was the different traits, and he was, and without knowing about genes or anything like that, he was able to pretty much determine how the alleles were being passed amongst different species of peas. Yeah, yeah he, based on different traits. Yeah, he put together the traits passed on by heredity. Yeah. The third thing the church did during that time that kind of broke us out of the Dark Ages and moved us to the Renaissance was it was the escape valve of the feudal system. It was truly democratic. You could come from being a peasant. You could come from being a the son of a middle-class stockkeeper. You could be the second or third son of the Baron of the Lord of the castle. In the monastery, you were only a brother monk, and then amongst your brother monks, you were you were promoted to the abbot and then the bishop and then on up to a cardinal and whatnot. Everybody got an education. So you, you came off, they absorbed orphans and turned them into brothers and whatnot. And so everybody learned to write. Church catches a lot of criticism in the day about, you know, being the enemy of science and all that kind of stuff. And, and and honestly, that it's just simply not true. Everything I've read, the church actually saved science. They were the biggest, promoters of science because they were the ones that were promoting education and reading and they were the ones that were copying all the books so all the the sciences that made it from ancient times to modern day times at least for the western world was all saved by the church the church actually is the one that saved all that knowledge and passed it along and was actually promoting the only science going on at the time yeah for a while they're the only libraries if you could call them such were all these scrolls and bound books in monasteries most of which were in Ireland. There were several on the on the continent as well. No, no, I'm not saying that there weren't. I'm saying that the vast majority of scribes that were writing books and you know copying books because they were all done by hand were were the Irish monks. They did the vast majority of it. The illuminated manuscripts that Ireland's famous for. But don't don't leave yeah. out the Balkans and and Greece. The the Greek Orthodox half. The last of us stuff copied from Arabic from the Crusades. So you appreciate all those Arabian, uh, all the Arabic Muslims that ca- that retain a lot of Greek, not basically burned and lost in Europe. It's mostly the religious organizations that were saving all this stuff because they were the most organized group at the time. I mean, who else would do it? Who else was going to do it? Isn't it possible that there were other technology hunters? One of the things that Paul was mentioning earlier when we talked about this was he really didn't want to be a monk. And... I can see that. I can see a lot of people out there picking up cloisters and going, well, yeah, I mean, it's a post-apocalyptic game, but do I really want to be a monk? Well, you don't really have to be. There's a lot of other roles in this game that you could play. The cloisters and the church could actually be there more as a quest provider. Yeah, yeah, you could play, well, the term, I guess, would be a layman. Just some lay brother or sister, yeah. Yeah, you could be just some guy or gal in a village and okay i want to go out and explore the world because i remember the 18th what what do we say the late 19th century tech level basically so mid okay using d20 parlance here mid pl4 a lot of those people back then if they left more than 10 miles from their village that was major travel for them the village was their life. So it's almost like a D&D campaign. You got these young, this young group of people. They have some arms. They've got some supplies. And they're going to go out and explore the world and see what's going on. Slay a few quote-unquote dragons here. You know, and of course, they'll run across like wild animals and brigands and whatnot. 
But yeah, they would go out and to them, oh, the great abbey over in this city is, you know, like, oh, it's a couple weeks travel and, you know, on our way, we'll have adventures. They don't have to be the cloisters. They can be just a bunch of young people. I think it kind of lies on the GM to his own sort of religious orders within the church. Whether mm-hmm. you have night orders like hospitalers and templars, or if you have an order within the church, which is the Malleus Maleficarum, mm-hmm. you know, witch hunters. Maybe the son or the nephew of a warlord, he doesn't want to be up on the picket line or, or doing close-in patrolling or fighting one bandit group after another large-scale battles. Maybe he wants a little bit more travel time. So he takes his martial skills that he's developed with the warlords and offers them as protection for a group of travelers, much like a certain ranger did for a bunch of hobbits. The old series, Gun Will Travel, Bruce, with the character Paladin. Right. Yeah. I was looking at the Path of the Monk, and you go to the church during your being trained, but come 18, you look around and realize, yeah, this is nice, but, you know, thanks, guys, for all these new skills I got, but uh, I really don't want to devote the rest of my life to the church, so I'll help out and do what I can, but, you know, you choose not to go on become a novice, but you stay around and still help out because they treat you right and it's uh, good for you, so you can play a person who actually has some skills that only mo- only monks have because, you, you know, you were raised in a monastery, more or less, but you don't have to be a monk to have those skills. I was thinking another uh, option, the the Mara Project, the Frozen Chosen. But that doesn't mean that every one of them was. You could be a cell that survived. If you can find the, uh, a bunker that was not hit by EMP, you might actually find intact people. So what is that island up in the area? It's uh, in the Great Lakes. Well, I was thinking, uh, black is it Black Island? Black Manitou Island? Or Black... Mm-hmm. But it's pretty remote. An author I like uh, wrote about. There's like there's some people who live there, but it's very small, and I can see that not being any target for anything. And that would be a good place for a cell to start. You know, they come out they're on an island, they have to figure out what's going on. Uh, they might run into a few people, get some information, and then they could hit. You know, then they come down into the Detroit area or come down into the Michigan area and work their way down. I could see using guys like that because they would have skills, the survival skills necessary. But not only that, they would have the knowledge of what Earth was like before all this happened, so they would know where things were. So that might be a really cool group of people to play in this world. The hard part of that would be integrating them into what's going on now. Would they survive that? We might be on Mackinac Island because there was a airburst over the Mackinac Bridge. So (laughs) the the problem I see with somebody coming back from the 20th century, like the frozen chosen, they're going to decant. Then they're going to mix with the, with the locals. And within 20 or 30 minutes, they're going to bump into somebody who's a carrier for one of those war plagues. Right. That they don't have antigens for. Oh no, that's right. Yeah. Well, there's that. (laughs) <laughs> Moral Project has that sort of caveat thing where they have the universal antidote mm. that the project players are carrying yeah. and if they get sick, with, they take this thing and it's supposed to be a broad spectrum antibiotic that kills anything. 
essentially. Super abiotic, yeah. So we could say that the Frozen Chosen have something similar to that. Actually, it's the Chosen Frozen. Oh, this one, it's the Chosen Frozen? It's it's reversed? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Same plan. It's a group kind of like the Moral Project where they they have somehow perfected fusion power and cryosleep technologies. And they intend to wait out the crisis. Yeah. Dr. Morrow was ahead of his time. Bruce Edward Morrow, a man before and after his time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The only problem I have with that is that it was all set up by Bruce Morrow, but he didn't see, seem to foresee setting up a proper shielding for their gear. You think coming from the future, as he, he did, he'd have that built into the construction of all the bunkers. Now, the project is separate from the Frozen Chosen, or is this the Chosen Frozen? I, I think they're the same group. Well, it's speculated that, well, the Moral Project is the same, it's all under Bruce. It's speculated that the Chosen Frozen are people who were real complex that built the stuff for the Moral Project and were aware of it. So they manufactured extra for themselves with the intent of writing out the World War Three themselves. I know. Well, I, that's why I caveated it with that was one that, that didn't happen to. Otherwise, you wouldn't play them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be. You could run into a beer, a, a, a Morrow team, a project team, a true project team, which is going to be a little bit different. Uh, you're right, and they, but you, but as we pointed out, unless they have their injector, their uh, auto injectors handy. Um, the first time I ran into someone with Rogue 418, that could be a really bad news. Well, you but, know, this is not only a person who travels forward and backwards in time. Bruce was known to sidestep dimensions. So yeah. that's how come he pops up in Fringeworthy, in Moral Project, especially. But in also Bureau. In Bureau. And I, where else did he make an appearance? I want to say it's Invasion USA. I think so maybe oh i haven't read that one in a while hmm. so um there, there's that and then you know i keep picturing when you're talking about warlords and this kind of um somewhat feudal setting and and I, I keep i keep thinking of the movie uh seven samurai and i keep seeing like like a band of the, the characters um you could that that'd be an adventure you could set up in this very easily the image that comes to my mind it's from a very old movie, Things to Come, and the boss and his little warlord band. And you have to watch the movie to understand what I'm talking about. But yeah, it is the first movie with a post-apocalyptic culture that I know of. And the boss, he would fit right in with he would fit right in with a Madden movie. <laughs> Escape from New York. Yeah. yeah but was, I was thinking yeah. this is also a good chance to have a Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. You play a sort of Robin Hood where you are protecting villagers against the warlords. Some people want to don't want to tithe fifty percent of their crop to the warlord and whatnot. And so you go in and you steal ten tons of corn and bring it back to the villagers so they they live through the winter. In this case, I would say you actually would be going against the one percenters. There are slavers now. Right now, it's it's equal opportunity slavery at this point. I can see yeah. a new John Brown. A new John Brown could be. Yeah, it's probably more like an old world model of slavery versus old South. Yeah, 
Yeah. So you can see a new John Brown trying to free the, free the, the slaves of the one percenters. Spartacus. <laughs> Your there characters you rise up as a, as a, in a Spartacus-style campaign where you have escaped the slavers and you're leading a slave revolt. Mm-hmm. Amongst the... Uh, the cloisters again. You know, you segment your church into into orders, or or monastic warrior orders, hospitals, or templars, and then within the church you have healers. So you might have monks that are doctors. So your mission is to go out and heal the heal the sick, and you might be some pictor, or you're some guy that has the most amazing immune system ever, and your blood transfusions are the cure. Are you talking sainthood. about the- Oh, wait a minute. You guys, you guys, it was an old DC graphic novel from like 25 years ago. It was a post-apocalyptic story, and I forget the artist and writer, me and Joe Priest. Basically, it was this drifter, 'er ne'er-do-well, and he was with a man who basically, yeah, there were granted there were no uh, uh, established religious orders, but he decided... I'm going to live as a Catholic priest. Problem is, the human race was dying due to whatever apocalyptic event happened. But this guy who was known as Joe Priest was one of the last fertile men on the planet. So here it was, a man who took a self-induced vow of celibacy, and he was the man that essentially saved the human race. (laughs) Sounds like that movie, A Boy and His Dog. (laughs) Yeah. I think two kinds yeah. of people are pretty important in this world with the scavengers and whatnot. If you're if you want to get around, you play a trader, where you mm-hmm. got your hitch your wagon team up and you move with your goods from from locale yeah. to locale. Oh yeah, you you can play Firefly. <laughs> what good is it if somebody unearths a working generator in the middle of nowhere? But you can put hey. that generator on your trailer. You can give them seed for it and haul that trailer to a city. Niagara would still have a fully operational uh, hydroelectric power generation. Yeah, that's one of those things I saw in the game book, and I was like, wait, Niagara Falls didn't catch a nuke? What? It would be a 300-year-old system, which means you probably have one turbine working at one time and use the other ones to keep that one running. But you still would have power, a limited amount of power, but you still would have power. And all the hotels in Niagara Falls would still be having their neon. When there's not a lot of demand for it, one megawatt goes a long ways. Yeah. I actually was looking at at the map. All the cloisters, except for one, are in, all in the western United States. All of them. All the cloisters in the western United States. There are no, the only one in the eastern is the Michigan cloister, St. James. That's because the east got tore up, man. Paul posted a picture of the way the, the ash would fall. There's a nice little hole in the middle of that thing, but the size of the dust of the ashfall would be about right. So yeah, yeah, cloisters all around the around the ashfall Yellowstone. On the flip side, the positive side, there are benefits of ashfall. One, ash makes fantastic cement. You mix it mm-hmm. with aggregate, you can make cement for it. That's what the Romans used when they invented concrete. Some of those aqueducts are still standing for a reason. High nitrogen fertilizer. You know, as long as you don't have 12 to 18 feet of it on top of your field, you're going to get some bumper crops of corn for a couple of years. As the plants reestablish, as we see in uh, St. Helens, 
the planets are pretty much taking it all over. It may, it may take only maybe what, 100 years to completely reclaim a good margin of that. They figure St. Helens will be done in about another 30, 40 years before it's completely reclaimed. You know what ash is really bad for? Ocean environments. Oh, yeah. yeah. Breathing, it causes silicosis. None of the lakes around there would be doing so well right after that. There would be a shortage of fish and marine life, but 100 years later, if you could put hatchlings in above, it would be abundant again. Yep, yep, pretty much. Looking in at the map here, I see northern New Mexico. So that jives. That area would do really well. It's mountainous. Air currents slow down. A Yellowstone eruption would have to push through all the Rocky Mountains and the Rideosa Mountains and all that. So we're talking Santa Fe. So that has its own special blend of weirdness. A lot of that area might have been wiped out early on, but, but people would have migrated to those areas because if you look at like all the biological plagues, you know the, the biological stuff and then the cannibals and uh, all the crazy like mutant animals and stuff up in like Michigan and then the East Coast, yeah. Midwest is looking pretty attractive. It's looking like the Southern Rocky Mountains is highly popular. Anywhere yeah. it's mountainous. Except for Kansas, there, I don't know why, and eastern Montana. South Dakota's looking good. Okay. The, probably the Sawtooth Mountains, maybe Pocatello, Idaho. Western Washington State is pretty clear. And Oregon is basically warlords, giant pigs and bears, and a biological disease near Portland. Let me tell you a funky story about <laughs> Oregon. Place of my birth. I'm from southern Oregon. Through those Siskiyou Mountains and whatnot, we do have a bunch of survivalists, and they moved in there because the lack of nuclear targets. And on one occasion, I went shopping, and down from the mountains came a crew, and they literally went into the parking lot and parked their vehicles in a circle like they were circling the wagons, and 50% went shopping, and when they came back, the other 50% shop went shopping, and then they convoyed back out. And that was in... The middle 90s. So that warlord there, we know who they're based on. There's the warlord of the Rogue Valley right there. Yeah. What's his name from um, uh, Tremors? Burt Gummer? Yeah. Burt Gummer, yes. Is it the father on Family Ties? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I love that character. He's one of my favorites. Looks like you broke into the wrong rumpus room. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, did guys, do we want to talk about some more of the uh, any more of the groups, or do we want to talk about what's going on in the rest of the world? Because well, it looks like there's some recovery from the rest of the world. France pretty much staved off uh, Germany. There's the the encounter group, the Euros, which is yeah. Britain, the Polish, and who else? French. French. Europe is a record of small squabbling kingdoms under the watchfulness of a democratic imperial Poland. Rival to the Hungarian-Czech alliance, Spain and Italy are regaining ground. Georgia, Russia, and the Balkans, uh, Sweden, Norway, and Finland are, re- are reclusive mostly, working out self-sufficiency. And South America is becoming under the Brazilian superstate issues with the Kingdom of Mexico. England is uh, pretty much... I wonder what's in Cardiff. Hmm. And that's a big hint for people who used to watch um, Torchwood. West Africa is a powerhouse of new industry under Muslim rule. East Africa is a patchwork of tribes and countries that are prosperous. Sub-Saharan Africa is the home of a thousand bandit kings and small cities. Sounds like Africa's not too bad. 
South America, basically, uh, Brazil conquered everybody and now a super state. That's probably not too bad either, because I don't see them getting targeted with too much of anything. Few of you folks who are familiar with another product of the game, which we haven't talked about very much in, on the show, which is FTL 2448. This is starting to sound a lot like the scenarios. I noticed that. Yes, John, the whole, oh, God, Francisco Oxomo was running Brazil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him, yes. As I read that, I'm like, wait a minute. I, this this is, uh, I'm, we've been around this bonfire before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, if I remember the timeline, it's in the 22nd century that they build the, the, the first phase drive. Yes. In Brazil. Are we talking, this is sort of like, a, uh, like, like if you think about um, another popular show or, or genre, actually, uh, you, have, you have Star Trek, right? And they had their uh, kind of Earth collapse period. And then out of that births the, uh, you know, the, the Federation eventually. This could be a setup for something like that. You could even run this in the very late stages of all this, you know, mm-hmm. like teetering on uh, some of these, the, 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 sp- the recovery, the, like the massive recovery, but it, it wouldn't happen in America. You know, you're talking probably going to happen somewhere like either in South America or, or Africa. Mm-hmm. South Africa, more likely. I was thinking another thing that we haven't really mentioned is, is like the fact that this book is system agnostic. So... This book wasn't written for any system at all. So you can use this with any system you want. I mean, you could play this with Savage Worlds or whatever. But the, the point of the matter on that is, is that this is a fringe-worthy adventure waiting to happen. What's wrong with the house? The, the traveling... Oh, weird, zero zero zone. weird Zone. Weird Zone. This is a great stop for Weird Zone. You can mix this in with other games that you might be playing. You know, you, Even if you only wanted to use the book for a couple adventures. Or like one series of adventures. So your party travels through dimensions, or let's say it's fringe-worthy. They wind up here, and it's going to be what you do for the next couple of weeks or months. And then maybe you don't use it again for a while. Yeah. Or you could set it as your campaign setting, rebuilding the world. Sure. Part of the goal is, re- is reclaim technology and find ways of dealing with the other folks. I mean, as tempting as it would be, to uh, simply go, well, we'll just kill everyone who doesn't agree with us. That doesn't work. That actually leads to a lot of problems. It's, this is the kind of game where you, you're going to have to work out you know, how to deal with people. You're going to have to work out how to find out a, a common point somewhere with the ministries and with the other folks and find some way to deal with the Luddites beyond hanging him from Nary's tree. Well, not it's, all Luddites are vicious guys. I mean... They said yeah. that some of them are quiet, they live in town, they do their work, they just refuse to use technology. They are like uh, the Amish. Yep. Yeah, if you, you keep them from going into town and setting fire to your local factory or something like that, that'd be great. Unfortunately, unlike, you know, unlike the Amish, they believe in setting things to fire. <sighs> you know, the Amish believe in live and let live. Uh, I believe in setting things on fire. You know, <laughs> fire, 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 rock, rock, rock. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, firecrackers. Uh. I want to go back to real quick uh, for the like, like we we're talking about different ways to do adventures and stuff. And, we were, and I'd mentioned a, a, the the chosen frozen um, or the frozen chosen. What what the heck is it? Which one is it? In this game, it's the chosen frozen. Okay, chosen frozen. All right. So we're talking about the chosen frozen. Uh, that island that I talked about is Manitou Island, and it's off the coast of the UP. 
So the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, the Upers. If you go to that finger that sticks up off of the uh, off of the, the top of the state. Keweenaw Peninsula. There you go. And you go, I don't know what the distance is on here. I don't see where the scale is, but it's a couple miles offshore. There is a uh, there is a pretty decent sized island. It's called Manitou Island, um, and they do have buildings there because there's a Manitou Island light station preserve, and then there's a lighthouse, and then zooming in in Google Earth, there's only a lighthouse there. Yeah, I know, but there isn't a whole lot of resolution on this, so there might be more. It's not a bad location. It's probably uh, an ecological preserve. Maybe one of the places that they have the wolves. Well, guys, Isle Royale is up there in Lake Superior, which is Michigan's only national park. And they have a lot of moose there and whatnot, because I do remember hearing and seeing a story on the news about them having to airlift a moose off the island. (laughs) And I always have to... Mooses on that island. It's not a flock of meese. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, I think, isn't the plural moose, moose? I think so. Yeah. Yes, the plural moose is moose. Okay. I know, but yeah. it's a lot of fun to play with play with the <laughs> with the visitors. Yeah, it's a flock of meese, but it's okay. If, if you want a better place, actually, if you look on the map, you can see it right there between the Upper Peninsula and Michigan. This is a little big island. That's Beaver Island. It actually has two airports. He says Beaver. Where's this? If you look on the on the, in the game map uh, for Michigan, that little island, that's Beaver Island. Actually, several islands, but it's big enough to actually has an airport on there and a, a small city. Uh, that actually be a better place. Is that a golf course? No, that's just a nature preserve. John, the reason why I was trying to make it the reason why I was trying to make it remote was because there happens to be looking at the map. A, uh, a a ground burst that happened right next to that island. And air burst not too far away either. Yeah, That's what I was worried about. That's, I was trying to get away from that stuff because we're talking about them being able to survive the EMP and all that kind of stuff. So I was trying to stay away from, from areas that are close like that. Well, first off, you know, if you can do an EMP burst, it'd be in the upper troposphere and it would cover the entire state. Peter's talking <laughs> meaning the EMP effect. If that's what I mean from from the from the bomb from, from yeah you didn't mean an EMP weapon which you bop that off a hundred miles and you've got an effect that spans coast to coast but right. the EMP yeah. effect of a strategic nuclear weapon is going to be fairly local because it's so low to the ground that's what I was talking about yeah so that's why I was trying to stick it up in the UP up there <laughs> sticking it to the UP <laughs> wait on along that vein you have um, at the mouth of Saginaw Bay there's a chain a couple little islands and there's one that has a place to park oh, a boat beaver. that's inside of the island it's artificial charity mm-hmm. island Maggot mouth of saginaw bay but right there by detroit you have yeah, gross isle gross eel whatever you want to call it <laughs> <laughs> you call it what you like <laughs> which if if I was a local warlord, I would have taken it over because you control the river traffic and you control cross state traffic. Oh, yeah. Gross. Somebody's got to use your bridge. Paddle is like an enclave. It's like its own community. There, Well, there were two bridges until a boat hit one of them. 
But yeah, there are only two bridges <laughs> on and off. No, it's oh no, it was it was bad. <laughs> hey, hey Gomer, there's a boat, there's a bridge there. They let that guy captain the after the XL Exxon Valdez again. <laughs> Um, oh. Bell, up there by oh, Detroit please, is Bell Isle. Grozio residents who happen to play these games, please send your hate mail to yeah um, to, to Trav at a local. That's the thing. I'm I'm maybe maybe 45 minutes from Grozio. Basically, Grozio is like its own enclave. It 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 would almost be like a community because there are some nice houses. My grandmother used to take me to a little fireworks shop there on Grozio called the Wishing Well, which had a, a sulfur-smelling spring out front. Gated community almost, and these people live their own little rich existences there. That's where the warlord lives. That's where you got to go to rescue the guy that was captured from, from the church. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of resources that are important to restarting stuff. There's an airport. There's functional marinas. There was already people there. There's open enough open space to jumpstart some cultivation. You can't cut it off from fresh water, and the water's all renewing. So if some, there was a toxin in the area, it's going to move past. Um, there's industry present. There's a lot of residential in that area. So you had a starting population. So even if only 5% um, survive. Plus you got that, that river that flows through the middle of it, so you could move goods from one end of it to the other fairly easily. Yeah, you can move heavy things internally. All along it, yeah, internal, yep. And I'm looking around to see if it's got a power plant, but I'm sure it's got a water treatment plant. Uh, let's see, there's this high school. Actually, there's some nice terrain in there. It makes a very good place to have a warlord for all those reasons. What is that triangle at the base? Of, oh, it's the airport, okay. Yeah, it's an airfield. Yeah. And plus, there's several little islands off of it, so... Sacred Heart Parish, so it's an enclave of the Catholic already. Oh, God, in the Grosseal area there, it granted it's a Canadian island. Hold that against them. Yeah, John might remember this. Boblo. Oh, yes, Boblo. To explain, Boblo Island was an amusement park that was open until maybe the 80s, and from Detroit and Amherstburg... You could take a paddle wheel boat down the Detroit River, go to Boblo for the day. And here it's a private community now. It, it's like kind of how Grozeal is for us, but it's on the Canadian side of the Detroit River. The damn roller coasters are still up and there. They didn't like dismantle them. It's like you can, if you lived on Boblo Island, you could look out your back window and there's a 40 year old roller coaster in your backyard. But another place where an enclave could be. A warlord could set up because, well, you could have, you know, snipers up on the tracks. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, if you look there, there's a channel. There's a protected channel to the west of it. I need dredging, but there's a bit of a channel going right past those right there. If you, you can see the lines of it. Right past Did I say protected? Yeah, there's a protected right. channel. Where? To the, to the west. Oh. You can see two parallel lines. The west of? Of Boblo Island. Okay. It's off the tip of Gross Eel, the southern tip of Gross Eel. You can see a pair of parallel lines going through the water. I bet that's a shipping channel, I bet. Old shipping channel. They got dredged out. That's the other problem, though, is that with no commercial dredging going on, 
this thing will silt up like you wouldn't believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that would make that er- those areas, those straits there, less than navigable. But if you don't have super ships, it's it's not kind of that. You're talking about barges. Like most uncontrolled rivers, and considering that the Sioux is now wide open, so you have Lake Superior dumping itself into into the into the lower Great Lakes. You have a good chance that the river you see here on the map is not where it is in the current times. It's probably gone for a little walk, and someplace else. Well, it's only a hundred years. In fact, that's thing I would say would happen down Mississippi. It wants to go west. We were forcing it to stay on this current track. Well, if there's no one down there keeping the keeping the Appalachia dams intact, Mississippi would be going someplace else in a hundred years, and New Orleans be high and dry. The problem with that, John, is is that we don't know which way it would go. So, for the purposes of the game, I would just keep it the same because I don't know if it's going to go left or right or whatever. I mean, we don't know. So, but I would personally just keep it where it is. Yeah, just because it's really going to make a difference. There's a lot of scenarios you can do in this game. I mean, you don't have to be a monk, and you still have adventures here. You know, this is if you uh, want to do a, survi- a survivor game. This is a great place for a survivor. You know, survival game where you're trying to help rebuild civilization with the help of the church, or you could be a bunch of monks. Found the power plant. Did you? There's a nuclear power plant nearby. Monroe, yes, Fermi too. Yeah, it's off of I-75 in Monroe. Yes, I see the cooling tower. Yeah, it always smelt in 1980. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just. There's a lot of stuff that in the area a that target. Yeah. It's yeah. a target, and if it and if it's for reasons like we made for why Detroit is still around, if it was shut down. Properly, a hundred years later, most of the infrastructure could still be standing there. There's a lot of scenarios you can do in this in this game. I mean, the the game actually has a mission generator if you want to use that and just take it as a start and then build up from there. All bunches of tables here about what you can do in this world. It also comes with adventures. Yes, like nine of them. So good springboard for a a, a cloisters campaign. As you rebuild the world after the Winter War. How can you go wrong with Attack of the Iowa Nazis? I mean, come on. (laughs) I hate Iowa Nazis. (laughs) Eater's Night Out. I mean, that that sounds like a fun time. There's a couple set in Utah, I notice. This Little Piggy? Mm -hmm. Night of the Big Box Bandits. Oh my god. Oh, the old man in the corn. Yeah. So look, you got a bunch of adventures. You got adventure generator. Oh, hey, there's another big bad monster from the Morrow Project in this world too. Which one's that? Blue undead. They're like the oh, uniquest okay. monster in any game I've ever seen. For those of you who don't know what the blue undead is, who isn't a humongous fan of Richard's earlier project, the Morrow Project, the blue undead are people who were. At ground zero of a nuclear blast. So maybe they were just around the corner and they didn't catch the the explosive effects, but they took on 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 rotgens of of radiation and died. But they're not dead. They're wandering around like zombies. They will come follow you because they're curious about other 
humans, so most of the brain is dead. They're like a, a brain stem and with attached to some function. They don't make cognition. They don't they don't make anything. They don't grow anything. They just never die. But they're constantly giving off like a thousand rotogens of radiation. They are called the Walking Dead in this game. Oh, what, what what page are you on? Let me skim back up to that. But I love it's one of my favorite monsters because everybody wants to go up and whack it with their sword, and getting near one is like the worst thing you can do. That's funny because I didn't know about them. And, there they are, The Walking Dead, page twenty-seven. We had a game last week, and we teleported to another world in some kind of weird transmat thing. And uh, yeah, we were fighting blue zombies that were radioactive. They called the blue undead in the Mor- in the Moro Project because in pure darkness they glow a faint blue biolescent light, like like like, like tritium. I know what that world is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get away from them. They feature heavily as no, one of the bad monsters in the first Moro Project module, uh, Liberation at Riverton. Now I'm going to ask the question. It's a hundred years. Uh, how many of these can he breed? No, no, no. They're dead. Okay. But, Radiation you know, keeps them alive. They don't decay because they're too radioactive for, for bacteria to take hold. They're just wandering well, around. They typically wander away from their crater, and then they come back to it. But the half-life are usually fairly short, and they don't last very long. So I don't, you know, these guys, I don't see them lasting much more than maybe 100 years or not too long after that. They'd half-life down to the point where they wouldn't be able to sustain themselves anymore. As far as unique monsters go, these guys are some yeah. of my favorites. The calcium would probably have half-life in every, every 90 years. Strontium 90. There's one mini season yeah. 123. Yeah, like 30 or 40 year half-life. So these guys, if you wait long enough, they'll, they'll take care of themselves. <laughs> if they're living off the radiation. They're one of my fave monsters. So if you want something. I love it. Hostility. Pathetic. Oh yeah, they just they they don't attack you in Moral Project. They just want to walk up and they're curious about you. So they just want to get close to you and like look at you. They excited to remember what it was like to be human, so they're curious about other humans. And your bat <laughs> and your Asian badge turns black. And <laughs> so you could be one of those people that puts on a lead suit and herds them together and disposes them somewhere. Yeah, in the salt mines of Detroit. Uh, <laughs> you know, another a good resource for this game is uh, there's a website or two called Forgotten Detroit, ah. where a team of photographers has gone around to all of the buildings that are falling into ruin because they're no longer used. The ruin porn. <laughs> yeah, the the public ah. library that's abandoned. The books are falling off the shelf. Look at the picture on, on page triple I. Uh, number five in the book. Uh, if you look at that, that's actually taken in. This must be taken in one of the libraries, because you can see debris on the ground behind the guy behind the guy standing there. It's actually one of the abandoned libraries in Detroit. If you live in Michigan, you can you can take pictures of yourself playing your play, larping this. That's something you can do. And notice, I say that's something you can do. Yeah, yeah. Brad, you're right there. We're sending you out with a camera. <laughs> oh really oh great well there's that hotel office building that's right downtown theaters yeah. oh yeah there's all sorts of abandoned i mean they're they're the train station's being rebuilt but still it was abandoned for decades on michigan avenue the old 
Detroit train station. We are not advocating this because most of these things, places are still private property, and you'll yes. see no trespassing signs put up. But send pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a perfect, perfect game resource for this. If you're you're playing the monks, you're scavenging for technology. This is the state of structures. Cloisters, the latest game from Richard DeHolka and TriTag Games, where you are trying to rebuild society after World War III. The Catholic Church, having been resurrected in Detroit, has taken upon themselves to try to reunite the world in a sense of harmony and peace and cooperation. And you can be a part of this rebuilding of society with this game. Try this game out and let us know how you like, hate, dislike it on the various forums that we have, TriTechGamers.com, the Yahoo groups, uh, fans of the TriTech podcast. Google Plus. Uh, Google Plus, yes, there are avenues there for that, too. And let us know what you think of this new game from Richard Tahulk and TriTech Games. We pretty much picked it apart as far as letting you know what's going on based on our own personal experiences. But we want to know, of course, your personal experiences with this new game. So, as I said, the aforementioned methods. And as always, as far as our other episodes in this one, please leave us a review on iTunes, iTunes and tritechsystems.podbean.com. So, until next time, for all of us here at the TriTech Games Podcast. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Until next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.
Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.